Hey there, and welcome to another edition of Inside Intercom. If you're looking to grow your startup, there's one surefire way to do it. Create happier, more active users of your product, right? Sure, sounds a lot easier said than done. But from our perspective, there's no more effective way to actually make it happen than using messaging to drive ongoing engagement with your product. That's onboarding emails to retention messages and everything in between. So to help us learn how to maximize these opportunities to engage our users, this week, Intercom's Jeffrey Keating is joined in conversation by Joanna Weep. Joanna is the co-founder of Copy Hackers, where she's helping startups learn to craft more persuasive, believable, and ultimately usable copy as a tool to grow their business. And as a conversion copywriter by trade, Joanna's got more than a decade's experience writing and testing emails for companies like Buffer, Wistia, Shopify, and Envision. She's also a product builder herself, having co-founded Airstory, software that makes turning your notes, research, and ideas into written pieces both faster and easier. In her chat with Jeffrey, Joanna explains the biggest mistakes she sees startups making time and time again with their email strategies, quick ways to improve your subject lines, what bottled water can teach us about taglines, and much more. But if you like what you hear and want to learn more about how to improve your own messaging, we've just released an updated version of our book, Intercom on Customer Engagement, that can help with just that. It's all about the tactics we use here to write messages that land at the right place, the right time, and in the appropriate medium. You can get your copy today at intercom.com forward slash books. But now, let's hop in the studio with Jeffrey Keating and Joanna Weep. You're listening to Inside Intercom. Intercom, making internet business personal at scale. Learn more at intercom.com. Hey folks, so today I'm here with Joanna Weeb, the founder of Copyhackers, which for you know writers like me has been the most invaluable resource over the past few years. Joanna, thanks so much for joining us. Awesome. Thank you for having me here. And that's super nice to hear. Uh, so to get us started, I noticed on the Copyhackers website that you mentioned mm. that if you weren't a writer, you would have been mm. a dermatologist. So <laughs> yes, uh, yes. I guess the burning question is why did you choose <laughs> writing instead of dermatology? Because I'm I'm terrible at all things science. No, I'm not terrible at it, but it wasn't quite my strength. But, you know, actually, like in high school, there were a lot of kids who were super nice, but had like unfortunate skin issues. And so you just like, I don't know, when you're deciding what you want to be and you're like in grade 10 and your friends are like experiencing challenges with their skin or you are too, right? Like everybody went through stuff. Um, Yeah, I just thought, hmm dermatology <laughs> that would be okay but that was like kind of a fleeting thing but it is a very important thing so uh there's no real reason outside of pure vanity when you're a teenager that's what that came out of and so why writing then instead no because <laughs> i was actually competent at that rather than just sitting around thinking what should i do um no because i really like it i was you know an english major in undergrad and uh did the whole um creative writing thing there which went over well in undergrad too so uh, it was just it was just the most natural thing and I really love doing it so I'm glad I get to get paid to do it. And how did that lead you then to copy hackers? Was copywriting and conversion something that you know when you started your career you saw a lot of people struggling with? Uh, yes absolutely so so I was at a couple different companies before I went out on my own. I did an agency deal. Like I was at an agency. Um, I was at Intuit, big tech company. Um, and then I was kind of, I was working from home and I had a lot of free time because I could get my job done very, very quickly. 
Um, and so I would spend a lot of time on Hacker News or like the Y Combinator News Forum. And that's where a bunch of startups hang out. Um, but I've really always been into startup culture to like, it's just, it's just cool to see what people can do when they have like an idea and a laptop. So I would hang out there. And at one point, this one guy named Sharif Bashay, he's uh, runs Dev Bootcamp. He's a really cool guy, but he put out this, he did an Ask HN for anybody who's like unfamiliar with Hacker News. There's like Ask HN is just when you like put something out to the whole group and say like, tell me what you guys think. So he didn't ask HN for his new website for a product he'd built for project management for engineers. Um, and I, I went to, I looked at this site and I was like, oh my gosh, I don't have a clue what any of this is about. And then you wonder, well, it's just because I'm an engineer and is it okay to use this much jargon and like craziness? And I was like, mm, there's a limit. So I went back and I put together just a quick deck for him. I, again, I had a lot of time on my hands. Um, and so I put together a quick deck for him and sent it to him. And he was like, oh, wow, thanks so much. And then like a month later, I came home um, and there were there were like 30, 40, 50 emails waiting for me from complete strangers in my inbox. And so I opened them up and I saw that he had posted, her, Sharif had posted over on Hacker News and it had been voted to the top and was staying there all night. This post about how awesome the Hacker News community is, like how giving it is. And he used my slide deck and like the things like our discussion as an example. So people like other people who were also struggling with their website copy, which Sharif had been tr struggling with, they reached out to me and said like, oh, if you did that for Sharif, can you do that for me? And so for the first like five or so, I was like, yeah, totally. And then by like email six, I was like, I can't keep saying yes to everybody and doing all this free sure. stuff. I have a lot of time on my hands, but like, come on. So I had to start saying no. And those people were like, well, you know, if you can't do this for me, you should at least teach me how to do it. So maybe put an ebook together. So that's basically where the idea for Copy Hackers was born. I spent the next year working on case studies and things um, with those five or so people and put ebooks together and then launched a year later on Hacker News. Perfect. And so speaking of startups, obviously a lot of our listeners are working at startups and one of the things yeah. they're obviously really, really struggling with is, you know, condensing their stories, visions or products, you know, down into simple taglines or positioning statements. So is yeah. there any, any advice that you could share with us to help them get the ball rolling? It's hard for one, but take the pressure off yourself. Like, just know it's going to be hard. Like, I still talk to people who have thriving they're like in full growth mode businesses. And when you ask them to state what their solution is, they say something and you can see in their eyes that they don't even believe it's 100% true. <laughs> um, so I would say one, like, well, take the pressure off yourself for one. But secondly, so there's a lot of ways to approach a writing challenge and a challenge like coming up with I mean, a tagline is different from an elevator pitch, right? But there's there can be some overlap if you're looking to do like your, you know, your four word statement that goes on AngelList to describe your solution. You can go a clever way and kind of do a play on words, which is where most taglines are actually born from. So find a cliche. Honestly, this is back when I was at the agency. I had to do a lot of these like short statements for a, like a huge range of products and services. And I lived on a site called Cliche Site, which sounds really bad. But if you go to clichesite.com and like look up, just, just start looking through them. A lot of really good taglines are born out of just kind of some wordplay on those old 
you know, statements that everybody's heard a million times and you make it sound a little bit fresh by, you know, introducing something different. So, so start there. If you're like hard up for ideas, start there on like a cliche site or something like that. Um, and alternatively, I mean, then it's just a matter of really doing the harder work around identifying your value proposition and then figuring out how to put that into a more succinct statement that can become that forward thing. I mean, so there's the value prop, there's the tagline, and then there's really just that that quick forward statement that, you know, can come from a place like this can be a useful exercise. It doesn't mean it absolutely will be useful all the time. Not every exercise like works every time, sadly. Um, But but if you You know, you do the pitch thing that you hear about a lot, like the way that uh, the movie Alien was pitched. You know that story? Oh, I do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, where it's just Jaws in space, right? But if you like, and so people are already doing this, right? Startups are doing that where they're saying, you know, Airbnb for, I don't know, for what? anything fill, yeah. fill that in and and that might feel like oh brother oh not another one of those but i think if you're actually saying something that's clear and meaningful then one of the hardest things about working in writing is letting all the crap out of your head like just like don't let those like negative voices go like oh that's stupid you can't say airbnb for blank like there's so much stuff that comes up when you're trying to be creative and express something about your business, which you're so close to, it's so hard to be like, am I, is that like, I don't even, I don't even know what my business does right now. I'm like way too close to it. I don't know who my audience is because I spent all my time with my audience and they've become these individual people instead of like this one group of people, which would be easier to talk to. So I would say like, just allow yourself to have those early ideas that might not end up being the ultimate way that you express your message, but start with we're Airbnb for blank or we're Uber for blank and then kind of go from there. Just like let yourself have that initial starting point. That is not where you're going to end up, but it doesn't really matter because you just need to get something down. Is there any companies in the software industry or outside software that you think has really sort of really nailed their marketing tagline? I think there are some that have a really good big idea that's well expressed in a single statement. So this is one um, that when I'm when I'm talking to people about finding that big idea, I often cite this and it's for this insole for a shoe um, (laughs) and it's here in Canada. The line is uh, turns your high heels into sneakers. And you're like, oh, Okay, like, so as a woman, they know their audience, I would love (laughs) for my high heels to feel like sneakers. And so that's like this bigger idea that's really succinctly expressed. And it makes you want to discover more like, oh, really? Show me how? Like, what are you talking about? How can that be true? There's a little bit of like, uh, disbelief there. You have to kind of suspend disbelief for a second. Like, really? It doesn't work that way. But no, 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 come put it in your shoe, try it out. Um, So that's one that's like, when you're aiming for that bigger idea that can be well said, that's a pretty good example. Right. And I think that's also like they're kind of touching on a, a kind of common problem that people, you know, encounter. You know, it's not very abstract. It's just totally it's not trying to be clever. It's just saying exactly the thing like I would love it. And we talk <laughs> constantly about finding your message in what your customers and prospects are saying. And you can 
imagine as a copywriter who's been doing this for 15 years, like I can, I can fully imagine that they were sitting there doing interviews with people or listening to them talk about how much they like women talk about how much they like, Oh, my feet hurt so badly at the end of the day. Um, I really just wish, you know, I had like, why can't I walk around in sneakers? Why did they get to walk around in sneakers and I have to wear heels all day? And you can see, like, you know, that it wasn't just some copywriter sitting at her desk dreaming up an idea. I mean, it could have been, I would be surprised, um, but it's coming from like that real pain or that problem, which is where the customer is born. And exactly what I just talked about at the converted conference I was just at, like starting the conversation in the moment of pain and then switching into your solution. So yeah. For sure. Yeah. Cool. So um, the best marketing copy, in my opinion, you know, has a very, very clear personality and, and point of view that you can, you know, you can kind of glean straight away. So, I'm, yeah. you know, specifically think about companies, you know, like Basecamp and MailChimp, you know, companies I really, really admire. And yeah. you touched on this in your business of software talk um, a few oh. years back and you used the example of bottled water to describe this. Could you explain oh. that to our listeners? I think it was yeah. five bottles of yeah. water were yeah. put together, maybe six. You said six. Yeah. Uh, so <laughs> a, a series of bottled water uh, put together. And yeah. I think Might it was I think it was proven that the participants in, in the study had a natural inclination to taglines that had a clear, distinct personality over those that didn't. Yeah. So I was just wondering if you could explain that a little bit more. To yeah, where you'll like pay more for water that has a like a brand that you recognize and can identify with. Which is a little bit shocking, right? Like it's all water. So the study was about, you know, just just bottles of water with different branding on them and how what emotion that was that you felt when you were being offered this water. That's it, right? That's really just what it comes down to. Can we take the most basic thing that we're all buying and try to sell more of a certain kind? And that completely just came down to, yeah, what are you calling it? What are you saying? about it. So here, let me like kind of back up and express this study. So it was around these five personality types, right, which were that were associated with this bottle of water. And those five personality types are like similar to the five like primary human personalities. So they were sincere, competent, excited, sophisticated, and rugged, which is like, <laughs> what? Okay, fine. Okay, so there are these five personality types. Um, and People had higher purchasing intentions, and I think they were like three times more likely to recall the name of the brands with personalities than the brand without personality. And the one personality which performed best out of sincere, competent, excited, sophisticated, and rugged with this particular audience, at least, was the competent brand, if that matters. But the no personality brand basically did nothing, right? So just if you just call it water that's not going to move people to buy. If you do something around sincerity or ruggedness, again, what? <laughs> um, incompetence, then that was like, um, yeah, that's just really saying that personality is this shorthand, right? Your copy's personality is a critical shorthand for your prospect, you know, with these intrinsic and extrinsic cues that we have as we make decisions. So if you're a water business owner listening at the moment, uh, aim for competent and, and, and maybe rugged, I think, as well. It's probably safe to I say. I don't even, I, rugged was just so weird. I'm like, sure, try it. <laughs> That's just, what? What is on that, like, bottle? Like a man in a cowboy hat? I don't, I don't even know. Um, but I don't, it's hard to say, like, okay, well, what does competent look like? 
Okay, maybe. And maybe when it comes to water, competence is the way you want to go rather than excited. Um, But maybe when it comes to your solution, if you can think about those five personality types and what your prospects are more likely to respond to, chances are really, really good that they won't respond to zero personality. We've seen that time and again, right? They need something. If you have those five to choose from, um, you don't necessarily have to sit around and choose in a boardroom, but like, can you identify what your target audience is most likely to respond well to? Something about sincerity, maybe, or sophistication, depending even on your price point and stuff like that. So, um, yeah. You've written extensively as well on you know, helping marketers write email that, you know, that get opens and, and conversions. So what are some of the biggest mistakes you're seeing being made by businesses with their marketing emails? Oh, how much time do we have? How long is this going to go? No, I'm just kidding. Um, So, uh, well, okay. So one thing is that, oh, it's hard. It's hard. Okay. Taking email seriously is the number one thing. And that doesn't mean take it seriously, like treat it like a serious thing. It means treat it like a serious business opportunity. So it was about two years into Copy Hackers where I realized that we're like, we're an email business. We would be zero without email. Like nothing would happen. We'd get some people to our site. We would never be able to like sell them anything um, or send more content their way or do anything good for them without collecting email addresses. Have to do that. And you have to identify the thing that grows your business. And so many times email is that thing. Now, there are rare exceptions where that isn't that thing, right? I'm sure if you're in gaming, email isn't going to drive people back. There's other things that are going to be built in, whatever, etc. I'm not in gaming, but I'm sure that there are other things for other audiences. But if you're in software in particular or service businesses as well, email is how you drive sales. So number one is take it seriously, like make it a real part of your marketing. People spend a lot of time optimizing their homepage or, or redoing their pricing table or something like that. And those are fine. If your emails are performing well, if your emails aren't performing well, go work on that, like immediately. Then once you're in there really do like assess your emails, honestly, not as somebody who is worried about UX, assess them as your actual recipient, like the person who's going to get this email on their mobile phone or at their desk or whatever it is, and really like allow yourself to read through them. And with that comes kind of getting rid of all the crap you think is important when it comes to writing copy. Like basically seven times a day I hear, oh, Joanna, people don't read online. Like I've heard it so many times I can't even handle it anymore. Like people do read online. They will read your emails if they are interesting. People will not read anything anywhere that is boring ever. It doesn't matter where it is. If it's boring, they won't read it. So it goes without saying that, you know, and people think, okay, well, but I'm writing about business stuff or I'm writing a sales email. So of course it's going to be boring. Well, what? Then just don't make it boring anymore. Try like testing it where it's not boring this time. So that's, that's one of the biggest things, right? Is first take it seriously, then make them engaging, like really engaging emails. And that often means that you have to kind of shift up your approach a bit. So a one-to-one email goes over oftentimes far better than a business to many or a business to one email. So if it's Wistia sending an email versus Chris at Wistia sending an email, that's an interesting test, right? So if the CEO of Wistia sends an email or Andrew, you know, head of growth sends an email, um, 
test that versus just Wistia sending that email or test a quote unquote like success manager against um, the company. So there's there's those sorts of basic things. Writing it in a narrative style is also another thing where you like open with a hook, treating every email like it's a mini sales letter. And so we did this with Wistia, actually, and I wrote about it on the Copy Hackers blog. Um, we tested eight onboarding emails. So they have, um, and this is surely something that the intercom audience will oh, relate sure, to, yeah. <laughs> right? You have these onboarding emails that you send out and they have three sequences that are triggered based on different activities that you do. And so we worked on the third triggered sequence and it's eight emails that are triggered and they're designed. This whole sequence is like, it comes at the end of the trial in most cases. And it's where you're trying to move people to go from trial user to paying customer. So those are my favorite places to optimize. They're usually a good way to get a real read on whether what you're doing is going to move people um, or not. Mm -hmm. uh, because at the end of the day, they have to actually give you your credit card or they don't give you your credit card, their credit card. And then, um, yeah, now you can learn something real. So we tested these eight emails against their control. And all we do, it was a basic rewrite, right? We just looked at their emails. This was not like, intense, crazy work. It's like what a lot of copywriters would do when they go in, when they're hired on their first day. And it's like, okay, well, we don't know what to do with you yet. So just go like rewrite these emails. Um, so that was essentially what it came down to was it was an exercise anybody could do right now where you sit down, you assess the emails, and then you basically just rewrite them with different strategies, like more copywriting techniques in mind, like using problem agitation solution or a framework like that to rewrite each email. So we looked at these emails, we kept the message largely the same, but we just changed the way that message was being expressed. Um, that often meant, well, uh, so seven out of the eight emails that we tested were two to five times as long as the control. So we had longer copy, not for the sake of longer copy. We weren't long isn't doesn't work just because it's long. It works when you actually say things that make people feel something and draw them in. So you have to allow yourself to use more words or we allowed ourselves to use more words, which was very uncomfortable for the Wistia team, understandably. And they're totally open about that. They're genius marketers. So like, they're like, no, that's cool. We can take that one. So we had these, you know, eight emails that we tested. They were longer. We removed the videos from them in most cases. And Wistia is a video company. Yeah, so that was also, yeah. un right? That was uncomfortable for them. <laughs> like, we'll put those back. But we're like, okay, <laughs> we're going to test it. Just wait, we'll test. Um, and we ran the test. And our variation, our eight emails against their eight emails, ours brought in 3.5 times the paid conversion. So a 350% lift all with statistical confidence and all of that great stuff. So, and it was just a rewrite, right? It's really just looking at your copy and saying, okay, people are actually going to read this. People are busy. Yes, they're busy. So if they're going to take the time to open this email, I want to make sure that I'm hooking them. I want to make sure they know that I'm talking to them in their language. I want to use specifics, like real specifics. And when it comes time for me to actually sell, because these emails at some point have to sell when we get to those emails in the sequence, I want to make sure that we are really zeroing in on a pain and then expressing how Wistia is a solution. So, and that didn't come again from me sitting here. Like the assessment was me like looking at the emails, the copy rewrites came from really listening to what their customers were saying, going on Amazon and doing review mining there. Um, I listened to Chris Savage did a podcast and he talked about, um, YouTube, it was early on in Wistia's time when like people were still like, well, why wouldn't I just use YouTube? He said something about like, 
you expose your video to a world of crass strangers or potentially crass strangers. Um, and I thought that was interesting. And so that kind of turned into the headline for one of the sales emails around, but it was done with a Wistia tone, right? So Wistia has this great personality. When you do something like a problem agitation solution framework, where you open with your prospect's problem, then you agitate it. And then you solve it with your product or service. When you do that, people, when I say that people tend to think like, oh, so I have to do like fear mongering. Like it has to turn into like some, like, I don't think that's good for our brand, but this was fully on brand for Wistia. So and it's not fear-mongering in any way. The headline for one of those emails, the one where I swiped that kind of idea from Chris, was what's read and unsupported and stuck in the middle of a bunch of crass strangers or something. And then that was like the headline and the answer was like your videos on YouTube. But it was like kind of setting it up with this fun sort of like uh, joke framework, you know, like what's red and white and whatever all over sure. those old jokes, right? Um, so you're you're still playing with something that doesn't feel angry or offensive or defensive or anything, right? Like we are saying Wistia is better than YouTube, but we're saying that in a friendly way. But that is actually still though getting into the problem with YouTube for businesses. Um, so anyway, there's lots to do there with email. I just said a lot about writing emails, um, but hopefully some of that will be helpful. To some people. Yeah, for sure. Especially around, you know, subject lines as well. It's something we've kind of studied extensively as well. And, you know, the one thing that we've kind of found is the most successful tactic that we've had is kind of literally just describing the subject of your email. We haven't found... We haven't, imagine. I mean, imagine. just, yeah, imagine. I mean, it's just quite simple stuff. I mean, I think, you know, Hillary Clinton and Barack Obama have had the most successful campaigns, I think, in recent memory just by, you know, writing things like dinner, question mark, which I think is just the most genius subject line uh, of the past okay. couple of years. I have to say, right? Okay, so one of the really... Uh, this is a really quick hack that anybody can do. So two things. Long, very long subject lines and very short subject lines we've seen in testing. And we um, did something with the people at GetResponse where they analyzed a billion subject lines and found that the ones that were like fewer than 10 characters, I think, or fewer than 15 characters and longer than 60 performed best. So that's an interesting thing. It doesn't mean that will always work that way for you, but maybe start with either going really short, like dinner question mark or really long, whatever that might look like as the alternative to it. That's like point one, which I think is very interesting. Um, number two, and I, a lot of what we learn as copywriters, as I'm sure you would agree with, probably, um, is just like you learn by just paying attention. So I was subscribed to Nathan Berry's emails back when he, before he was on ConvertKit, when he was just doing his like authority courses and stuff like that. And he would send a subject line very often where it was a single word, and then he added a question mark to it. It's really just a simple hack. Like the next time you want to do like a one word subject line, add a question mark to the mm -hmm. end of it. And it turns it into like this curiosity sort of thing where you're like, what? And you open the email and it works really well for getting opens up. But that dinner question mark is, of course, spectacular. Like anything that feels that relevant and personal, like what? Did I just get invited to dinner? What's going on here? Um, yeah, I agree. Genius. So to jump on to Aerostory, I know it's about eight months now since you launched and it's just, just an amazing tool for, you know, writers to help them with the research process. So Thanks. my question is, I'm just wondering, like, how did you make the transition from consulting to, to building software? Oh, well, so again, having been obsessed with startups for years and having worked with so many of them, you're just kind of in that world, right? Where you're like, if I hung out with a lot of chefs, I would probably start... <laughs> 
making chef like food. I don't even know what that is because I don't hang out with chefs. Um, but it's not even just that, right? There's there's the part of you that like loves building things, like loves the risk of it, loves the kind of craziness of it, of like solving a problem that you've seen again and again and again and again. Um, I was really dissatisfied with the digital page, like a single sheet of paper on a page. And that's that's it. It's like, that's what we get to work with. Like designers have Sketch and Photoshop and they get to upload to Envision, which now has its own things. And we're like, the writers like just sit around using Word. Mm. I don't understand. Like it's not good enough. There's so much more to what we do that we just have to like really hack together solutions on a page. So we're like, okay, let's, let's solve this. But the transition there came with like, okay, I had already stopped consulting where I was really just taking on clients that I really wanted to work with, like Wistia and Buffer and Metalab and people like that. So I'd shifted and I'm still there, right? Like I'm still, when there's a really cool company that I want to do a cool test with, then I'll still do that hopefully for the rest of my life. Um, we'll, we'll see. Um, but, but the shift to software then was like, okay, well, we were doing these courses and in the courses, we kept teaching the same process but in a lot of processes, like doing a content, a competitor content audit, where we're like, okay, open up a document, make a table, go over here and copy and paste your way through these 27 different things, um, which is suboptimal when you could just like go to that site instead, highlight the different points and then send them straight to your document um, and then make sense of the work over there. So kind of removing some of those steps. So we've been teaching so much about these different things to do in order to find your message and turn that message into a high converting, you know, line of copy or page or whatever that might be. And so it just kind of became like, well, we could keep telling people how to hack it together or we could just actually try to solve it. And it's, it's a big, difficult challenge. Like that's what software is supposed to solve too, but it's taken a while to get here because there's been iterations of the product and there's still so much to go. Um, but yeah, that's been kind of the process to get here. We needed to solve the problem. And so we, we did. Yeah. And, and it's just, you know, it's this approach of sort of consulting and blogging and writing first and, and building software after. It's just something that I, I really admire. And, you know, companies like Moz have been doing it as well. It means, yeah. you're, it means you're kind of, you're basically you know, an expert in your field before you actually build anything. And I think generally the products are better as results. I hope so, right? It still is. I mean, we obviously still struggle with all the same things that anybody starting software business, a startup, struggles with, right? The actual product market fit and identifying who your market is in the first place. But that's all That's all fine and good. That's all part of it. Um, hopefully in the end, there is a good solution there for people. That's our goal, at least. And yeah. so and so finally, then, when you're not running copy hackers and building products, I believe you also write some fiction on the side as well. Is that right? <laughs> yeah, for fun. And it's so fun writing. Uh, how do you find that the one informs the other or or does it at all? No, they don't, thankfully. Right. Like it's a break. Uh, <laughs> uh, is it something else to do? Right. So um I don't know that they do inform each other. I'm sure that in some ways they do. But what I like about what I call like fun writing is that I get to just be creative because pure and simple, I do not believe that anybody on the planet needs to hire a copywriter for them to be creative. I know that a lot of people don't agree with me on that, but I've been down a lot of different paths in this world. And I know that time and again, like a lot of we're all 
creative in some way. A startup founder can sit there and come up with his or her own creative campaign, right? It might not be as great as like if you get a really talented copywriter who's done this a billion times and can tell good from bad to do it. But really, you don't need to hire people for the creative stuff. And again, people don't like when I say that, but it's true. You hire them to to grow your business, right? Like that's otherwise, what? So um, that's where I find that when I'm, you know, writing for fun, I get to actually just like enjoy being creative and write paragraphs that are paragraphs and where I'm not worried about, you know, if a person has the attention span to deal with this if they're walking around you know their office on their phone reading this thing and I better put it all into like really short sentences that have line breaks between them um that's not the concern you just like kind of let yourself just be creative and I think that that's a good thing for any copywriter to do because then you've got a creative outlet still which you want but you don't mistake your job as that creative outlet that's great so um, I think we'll wrap it up there, Joanna. This has been absolutely cool. fascinating. Thank you so, so much for taking the time. Thank you. It's been fun. You've been listening to the Inside Intercom podcast. For more episodes, visit soundcloud.com slash intercom. If you'd like to subscribe, search for Inside Intercom in iTunes or Stitcher. And for even more great content, check out blog.intercom.com. Listener.